Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel, joined by Ted Cahill. Sometime during this podcast, J.J. Cooper's going to burst through that door and be like, why didn't you wait for me? But we didn't <laughs> wait for him because we uh, it's the first day of college baseball practice today that we're uh, recording this podcast. We are talking about practice, not a game, practice. Um, that's one of the amazing things about this time of year. We're in this transition stage from prospect season to college and high school and draft season. There are junior college games being played today with top prospects. So it's a really neat time of year, Teddy, and we're also wrapping up a lot of these top 10 prospects. And it seems like ages ago that you were debating whom to rank at the top <laughs> of your Washington Nationals top 10. Do I go with the two pitchers who pitched in the big leagues already, Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, or do I go Victor Robles? And the Washington Nationals made things very, very easy for you by trading those two pitchers in the Adam Eaton deal. They did, and they squeezed it in just ahead of the uh, prospect uh, or the prospect handbook deadline, transaction deadline. Uh, so that was that was also very convenient that it we was. were able to reflect that in the book and have Victor Robles as number one. We probably had been leaning that way to begin with, but that was, I mean, when you remove those other guys, he is a clear cut number one for them. And, and I mean, he's one of the best uh, prospects overall in baseball too. That's that's the next easy part of the question is this is here's a guy. Um, we've been talking about Victor Robles for a couple of years now, and yet he's still teenage slash 20 years old. And I guess the other, when you see a guy hit in the Gulf Coast League, come over from the DSL and go to the GCL like he did, you get excited about players like that, but you temper your enthusiasm when there's that rookie level in front of whatever league they play in. So you have that expectation. We had high expectations for Robles coming into this year, but then his season, he did just about everything you want to see him do, I guess, except for stay 100% healthy, which, you know, when you get hit by a pitch as often as he gets hit, if he still has that approach, he's probably going to get hurt some other time down the line in his career. But what, if besides the injury, was there any negative to Victor Robles' season this year in your mind? Not really. I mean, I, I don't want to say that what he did in the Carolina League was, um, you know, 100% outstanding, but it also wasn't a negative in that he was the youngest player in the league when right. he gets brought up. And it was a bit of a slowdown at the plate. He only hits 262, but he's dealing with the injury, as you talk about, and he is one of the youngest players in the league. And it's a smaller sample. It's only 41 games. So that wasn't quite to the level that we'd seen, but that level also was ridiculous, frankly. And so to see that a little bit back off, especially considering the circumstances of his injury and it being the kind of injury that it was, uh, and then when you consider his age, um, I, I think it was all it was a very solid season across the board, and, and what happened at the end is completely understandable. Yeah, and he he, uh, he really does seem like, I mean, we throw around five tool all the time. He's five tools. I mean, you're projecting a bit for it to be average to plus power, but not that much. That's, I think, what I like the best about him is there's good present ability, skills, athleticism, uh, I guess the, the easy shorthand comp we keep getting is Andrew McCutcheon. Do the Nationals make that internally, or is that something that comes from the outside that they maybe that club officials acknowledge? Um, how do they try to characterize him for their expectations for this guy? I haven't run the 
Kutch comp by them directly, um, but you know they do talk about him as a five-tool impact player. And when you it, the McCutching comp makes a lot of sense when you break it down. When you look at you know the kind of player Andrew McCutchen is, I think it's fair. Um, obviously, it's lofty, but but I think they are in many ways similar skill sets. That, that that's what you're expecting Robles to to develop into. Yeah, I mean we we put sixty hitting, fifty power. Uh, 70 speed, 60 defense, 60 arm on him. It's probably a little bit better throwing arm than Kutch. Maybe not quite as much power. Robles might be more of an ideal leadoff or second hole hitter as opposed to a three hole hitter on a championship caliber team, but it's still in that similar genre of player. And that level of athleticism is so exciting. That's that just is what you know sets him apart. I, I did want to stick position player a little bit to start off with because the the obvious pitchers were basically traded with the exception of Eric Fetty. But kind of after Victor Robles, I guess my first question is, the Nationals are a contending team. They see themselves as a contending team every year. They're basically on the even-year deal, kind of like with the a step or two down from the Giants, but they're kind of on this even-year deal. Which, which of these position players do you like best at the upper levels of their system? You have Wilmer Defoe. You have, I don't know if I'd say Andrew Stevens is necessarily upper levels yet, although he... He advanced quickly last year, but with Adam Eaton there now, I don't necessarily expect Stevenson to move so quickly to the big leagues either. Um, Pedro Severino, I know you've liked for a while as a high, you know, a, a, a guy you could project to be a backup catcher with some certainty. Um, do those guys even have paths to playing time in Washington? It seems like Severino has a little more likely path to playing, especially now Defoe affected by them signing Stephen Drew uh, just yesterday as a free agent. Severino has the clearest path. I mean, they traded for Derek Norris. They're bringing him back. Uh, but they Derek Norris. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and Lobatone as well. But Derek Norris is an offense first catcher. They need a glove back there. Now, whether that glove is Severino or whether that glove is Lobatone, um, you know, they can kind of evaluate what they want to do in spring training uh, and, and see where Lobatone and Severino both are. But he, he Pedro, Pedro Severino, will play in the big leagues this year. And I, within a year, I, I think he can be catching a significant amount. Defoe, they're they're pretty full in the infield right now. Um, he's versatile, which helps him. Uh, he's going to come up. He's going to at least be a utility player. But they also can leave him in Syracuse. He hasn't played much AAA yet, so they can leave him down there, and it would be completely understandable. Uh, but ultimately, his versatility, his speed. You know, Dusty Baker wanted that on the playoff roster. They're going to want that eventually in Washington as well. Stevenson is a little further away, um, but by the time he's, like, within a couple years, Adam Eaton reasonably probably moves back to a corner. Right. Thereby, I, Stevenson by then is, might have to deal with, contend with the Robles, but, <laughs> you know, they are, uh, you know, when, when you have a defender of Stevenson's caliber, they can they can find a spot for him. I told you J.J. Cooper was going to come through that door. Yeah. I thought you were going to burst through a little bit more loudly, J.J. So <laughs> I did it very quietly. I primed everybody, you, but you did. You did do it quietly. I'm not a quiet person, and I managed to pull it off. <laughs> I'm impressed. Um, but Stephen, Stephen Drew's signing does seem like, you know, I'm not saying it's a vote of no confidence in Wilbur Defoe. I think Wilbur Defoe's got a better ch- He's in better shape than the other prospect who, not prospect, but unlikely dude to take your last at bat of a season in Michael Martinez for the Indians. <laughs> hey, thanks for making the last out of the World Series. Peace out, Mike Martinez. And Wilmer Defoe, though, again, like it's 
I, I like where we had the grade, the 45 low. That's kind of what he is. I think he's a very safe bet to be a utility guy. Just so the Nationals decided they'd rather go veteran. And there's always the you know, Jedi mind trick of, of Scott Boris, Stephen Drew's agent, with uh, Ted Lerner. Uh, the Nationals are a home for Boris clients and remain that. In the few years I've been dealing with Wilmer Defoe in these rankings, like it has always been a fight of whether like he's been on that edge of is he utility or can he be an everyday player? And um, you know, with Trey Turner, with Daniel Murphy, he's not an everyday player right now. So it makes sense to bring back Steven Drew and let Defoe at least start the year in Syracuse getting everyday at bats. That's what I was gonna say is, is the thing about this is is that instead of it being this is not really an either or but really, I, I, an and, and the, the key part of this being is that by signing Drew, if Stephen Drew gives you a Stephen Drew season, how far back do we have to go now to have a Stephen well, Drew season? So in 2015, he was a regular in New York. He didn't I'm play well. Productive. Well, productive right. well, Stephen well, Drew. He had 17 back. home runs. He just hit 201. I mean, a good Stephen Drew season is really, you hope you get what, the, what you got out of him as a part-time guy last year. He had an 864 OPS. Right. So you, if you have that, but also... And you have Murphy and Turner. You're not looking for more than... You hope you don't go for more than 140 at-bats for Stephen Drew, frankly. Right. And if, he, and if something happens with, with Drew, you still have Defoe as the backup plan. Right. It gives them, again, it gives them... Because they, they had some times last year where they were getting a little thin there on the depth. Yeah, the guy that... you know, the, the, For me, the person you always worry about in their infield, actually, to me, is Rendon. He has a long injury history, the repeated shoulder problems... Um, he's missed a lot of time, and you know Ryan Zimmerman's days of going back to third base appear to be long in the past. So Defoe and Stephen Drew feel like both those guys should polish up their third base because Matt Scold is a really third base. Is, is that it? would the Nationals look at Matt Scold at third base? He actually went back to playing some third base, and yes, they would. Uh, he's not an everyday option there, right. I don't think. But um, if you needed to spell Rendon, he can do that. Uh, but if Rendon goes back on the disabled list, I don't think uh, if for maybe for two weeks, if school was really hitting, you could live with it. But if Rendon is going to go down significantly again, I, I don't think I think you're either looking at Defoe or you're looking at trading for a guy. To me, if Matt's if I'm if I'm the Nationals, I take Matt Skoll in a big league camp. I'm like, there's Clint Robinson. Go hang out with that guy. Try to be that guy. If he could be that guy who every once in a while can even play third base. Maybe there's a place for Matt Skoll. I mean, there's a, there's a reason they put him on the 40-man. Right. He controls the strike zone. He does have some pop. And also, uh, nephew of East Tennessee State coach Tony Skoll. Shout out to Coach Skoll. I'm a big fan <laughs> of Tony, Tony Skoll. A, good follow for a college coach on Twitter. B, he's done a nice job at East Tennessee State over the years. C, Matt's his nephew, so why not? Um, they also have kind of like these other – I don't even know if these guys are prospects in other organizations. Like Brian Goodwin – Still technically a prospect, Blake Perkins, uh, Jose Marmolejos. Jose Marmolejos has hit a little bit in the minor leagues. It doesn't seem like he's a profile guy, Teddy. Are these guys prospects in other organizations or just kind of a little sign of the fact that the Nationals' depth isn't great? Well, uh, the depth was, did, definitely took a hit during the uh, trade. But, I just um, want to say Jose Marmolejos. Well, it's a great so name. You, know a who, you know who loves Jose Marmolejos? Matt Eddy loves Jose Marmolejos. Okay. Really, like... I'm intrigued. Matt Eddy pushed him higher on the list than I was going to rank him. Um, I initially wasn't going to rank him, and then they added him to the 40-man, 
And so that made us take a, a closer look at him. Absolutely. And every time that Matt took a look at him and, and looked at the stats that, that Matt looks at, Jose Marmolejos comes out really looking really good. He now, controls the strike zone. He absolutely does. He shoots the gaps. He does a lot of the things that Matt Skoll does offensively. Feels like he does them a little bit better offensively. He doesn't have the defensive versatility because he's left-left. And he doesn't have that power that, that Skoll has. Um, he did hit 13 home runs this year uh, between Potomac and Harrisburg. And that's the other issue here is that he will play the season as a 24-year-old having only had 30 games yeah. in, the, in the Eastern League. But he's on the 40-man. And he's been their player, the organization's player of the year for two years in a row. Yeah. So they really like him. They like what he can provide. His, it's almost impossible to profile him as a first baseman or an, a corner outfielder. So he's forever going to be looked at as a bench type guy. But he could contribute in that role. He really, he, he looks. You eyeball him from afar, and he looks like just a four A kind of guy. But when you hit forty five doubles. And you keep hitting, and you keep hitting. At some point, he might earn. He may earn himself a look, and that, that's. I didn't. I think the last two years before this year, he hadn't ranked, and I was like, "Huh, this guy just keeps hitting." So I was glad. I was actually glad to see him in the back of the thirty. Like, you know, Brian Goodwin to me is an extra guy at this point. He can't hit left-handers. He's had a lot of upper-level experience. Barmbalejos is one of these guys who hasn't failed yet. You know, so that's, that's, that's really what it is. Really, he hasn't I mean, failed yet. That's when you have a thinner system. That's kind of one of the things you – that's how guys make the 30. You go younger a lot of times because the guys who are closer to the big leagues often – and Brian Goodwin is an example of this, but the guys closer to the big leagues, you kind of know what their, their – their ceilings are limited because you kind of know what their limitations are. I mean, he the limitations are less apparent for the guy who's further away. The only guy in the minor leagues who hit more doubles than this guy was the guy who had more doubles than anybody since 1963. Brian Mundell hit 59. Connor Maribel – of the Indians organization, and Jose Marmolejos tied with 45. They were second. So he, he peaked my interest. Is there another position player who peaks yours uh, in a different uh, regard before we talk about the super young guys who we ranked in the top ten? Right. Um, you know, I, I think we've uh, hit on the upper-level guys, but Drew Ward is worth uh, a mention here as a guy that, that took a step forward and had a really good fall league yeah, as well. Yeah, I agree. And when we're talking about third baseman, uh, you know, he's not going to be helpful this year if Rendon got hurt. But within a few years, I mean, that's a guy that should be getting to, to big league ready reasonably soon. you got this Harrisburg team that's going to have Ward and Marmalejos and Stevenson. They're going to have some interesting players. That's going to be some, some actual prospects who are going to have you – know, double A is always important, but kind of some make or break kind of years almost for those guys. Because Drew Ward, you know, going up to double A when you're 21 years old, 22, at the end of, I guess he was 21 at the end of this year. And that's one thing, his second full pro season – but now he's been there for 50 at-bats, so you kind of expect him to have some success. Especially coming off the fall league. Right, right, that's right. Um, let's talk about some of these really young players who are in their top 10. Uh, Juan Soto, I think was going to be in the top 10, was going to be high in the top 10, no matter with the trade. Uh, he was at a rank high. He's when you're of, the number two prospect in the GCL behind only the number one overall pick in the draft, you're, you're going to rank pretty high you, in, a, in a top you, ten, any top ten. So he, he's an easy kind of grade, JJ. Those kind of guys, the toolsy, young yes. Latin American infielders or outfielders who have some performance in the GCL, 60 extreme is a great – that tells you we think this guy's got a chance to be something. Right. We're saying that there's enough ceiling there that – and that's one of the reasons. I mean, look, the guys in the GCL – 
international guys in the GCL and we run them up high. Right. The, and the system is not a, uh, a bottom two, three system. We're telling you right there. But this is this organization's had some real success in Latin America. I mean, Rafael oh, Batista, yeah. I, I skipped over Rafael Batista, who might be mm-hmm. a, a fourth outfield option if they need him this year. He had a nice year in AA. But the, 10 years ago, this organization was a joke in Latin America. They were the worse Smiley than Gonzalez. a joke, they were, Yeah, the Smiley Gonzalez stuff, all the stuff that happened with Jose Rio and Jim Bowden. This is the thing that I think that Mike Rizzo has done it doesn't get enough credit. Giant DePuglia, these guys, they're an international department. Teddy, this is like dra- drafting Tommy John pitchers, A, that's one thing they're known for developmentally. Drafting p- hitters who fall, position players who fall because of injury, like Rendon. But really, they should be known for their Latin program. This is one of the strongest and most consistent Latin programs the last five or six years. All that's really missing is that breakthrough big leaguer, and they kind of were starting to have it with Ronald Lopez before they traded him. Well, and they do that without spending money because since the 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 fallout from the scandal that cost Jim Bowden his job, they hadn't really been spenders down there. The the organization very understandably had backed away from throwing money around down there. They Robles is $200,000. He wasn't like some big right. seven-figure guy. They continued to sign guys. Reynaldo Lopez was like $18,000. Um, wow. It, wow. Wow. That's some return on investment. Yes. And, yes. And so now Juan Soto is really the first guy that they drop money on. They spent more than a million dollars on him in the... Uh, yeah, he put $1.5 million. $1.5 million, yes. Just, uh, just two years ago. And he's already, in the 15 class, $1.5 million. And he's already come to America, been the GCL MVP, and then they, he, he gets up to the Penn League at the end of the year. And then this year, obviously, they break their international spending pool. But the, the reason they're able to do that isn't just that the learners are willing to reinvest, but they were able to, you know, the, the front office was able to go to them and say, look at what we're doing mm-hmm. with what we've been given. If you give us more, imagine what we can do. And so they're able now to go out and spend money for Juan Soto and spend money for three guys, three of the top 20 guys in, in this year's international Yeah, class. Luis Garcia places right there, number seven. And that's a guy who you probably, before the trade, you were like right on the borderline of the top 10. Now he winds up at number seven. It's good to have that talent that you can trade those pitchers and still have a talented top 10, JJ. But isn't it not a great sign when you have a guy who just signed, hasn't played a game, and is 16 years old and is in your top 10? Ideally, that guy's in your and you're 11 to 20, not your top 10. They haven't strip-mined it because they've kept Victor Robles. But this is a, an organization that quite clearly, the farm system right now serves the purposes of we have the window still open, but we see that the window's still starting to slide down. We have to do what we can to win with this team now. And I, I don't think there's anyone, you know, let's, let's play a hypothetical. You get to July, and in July – you're sitting there in the Nationals or right in the middle of it, just like they usually are, but they have some clear holes. I don't think in any way... They don't have a closer right now. Right. Well, I mean, assuming they haven't... Maybe it's the closure because they haven't developed one or whatever, but they have some clear holes. I don't think that Victor Robles in any way is untouchable at that point to make the right deal. And I think Victor Robles is a very good prospect, but the reality is, is that I don't think there's anyone... If you're not hurting the big league club to make the trade, I think that anyone is available in the right deal because this is a team that's all built to win right now. 
I think Victor Ruggles is untouchable personally. I mean, like, I, I, you, if he's in your top 10 of your top 100, I don't have a problem with that. And I would not trade a top 10 guy, not for a reliever. I mean, like, I'm not saying would even because you know the Cubs they don't have a hundred year, hundred eight year drought. I feel like the Cubs, while they won the World Series, I think they're going to regret that they traded Glaber Torres in that trade, we, even we, as good as they are. That's I remember we talked about this um, a month ago when the trade happened. There is some urgency in this organization, though. No question. Um, you know, every winter we get will Bryce Harper sign a contract or is he about to walk away? Um, you know, do do they have to get this done before then? And you know, DC doesn't have that hundred years, but if you look at the city, um, hmm, there's the, some angst. They, they are well. I think as a as a baseball city, if you just take straight years as opposed to taking out the years they didn't have a franchise, I think they're the second longest now, uh, or maybe they're even longer. No, they're, 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 they, they're, 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 they are. They are. When you talk about yeah. the organization, it's yeah. And um, they haven't even. There's not even a pennant in this organization's history, right? I mean, Expos no pennants. No. And then if you go to a city of Washington... <laughs> the Expos say, no, we had it. They uh, took it away from us. the city of Washington, you're going back to 1924 right. for the senators. And You're talking big train. Yeah, and your ownership <laughs> is... Their, their ownership is somewhat similar to the Tigers in that, you know, older older ownership that wants to see a winner um, before, you know, he's no longer the owner. Um, so that, you know, they, there is some urgency here. I don't know that that would lead them to trade Victor Robles. That's I really, I really have difficulty not for a closure. That. I'm not saying I for a closure. I'm saying for if there's a deal that they need to make at that point. I, now like, again, I, Mike clear. Rizzo will trade anyone, but they're they're going to have to really. It, it's going to have to be something very impactful. Yeah, I hate I hate Meatloaf, but I mean, I I I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> I think that's their attitude here. I, I think they would do anything to win a World Series. But they won't do that. I think they, I think they see Victor Robles, that they esteem him that highly, and frankly, I do too. I, do, I just don't think there's a great history of giving up prospects that good. Aroldis Chapman is so different, and he did wind up making a huge difference for the Cubs. The way they used Pedro Strope and Hector Rondon, it's hard to imagine them winning a World Series without him. But you can imagine them winning a World Series if they had just traded for. Uh, Andrew Miller, and I love what the Yankees got for Andrew Miller, but I still think those two guys, Frazier and Sheffield, are less than Glaber. The Cubs gave up more for Chapman. Can't you see the Cubs winning it if they had Miller instead of Chapman? I don't think but, that, that changes the equation but for let, me. But let me flip this a different way. The Nationals, <laughs> what has been one of the big things that has kept... I'm not saying that they should trade Victor Rose for a closer, but I am saying... This is the team that, in recent years, one of the problems they've had no has question. really been bullpen. It's been well. That wasn't the case this year, though. No, I mean, it wasn't they, the case they landed this year. Melanson, frankly, on the cheap. Oh, that, that was at, a great When trade. you look at other things, and you know, I, Mike Rizzo is so good at trading that I don't think he would ever engage in such a you know that kind of trade. Because he, he would find, think he could find he can find guys like Mark Melanson and. And make that work. I would say the biggest thing is that when you look at Steven Strasburg's postseason history, that you see one start on it. That's that to me is the biggest reason that they have a zero in playoff wins as Washington Nationals. Is there should have been three playoff series in Steven Strasburg's history, and there are zero. I mean, there's there's one, and he lost that start. I mean, that so that's where it starts and ends. I mean, yeah, you want to be the number one star pitcher in the game and the number one draft pick and have the number one contract or one of the largest contracts. 
make more than one postseason start in six big league seasons. I don't think I, I don't think that's asking too much. And so that to me, that's where the Nationals' problems really in the postseason. They've put, invested in starting pitching. Their starting pitching hasn't been. I mean, hasn't delivered Scherzer, in the postseason. Scherzer matched up with Kershaw he did. and couldn't beat him. And right. Max Scherzer is incredible. He's awesome. He's not the problem. Right. But like that that was that essentially that that's what happened. Kershaw beat them three times in the division series and they <laughs> lost because of it. Yeah. They, they they're there are very few holes in this team. The big one is at the back of the bullpen. Um, it kind of takes us to the pitchers. First off, there really isn't an in house option well, to help Glover. the bullpen. He, he's a seven, I can see a seventh, eighth inning guy. Can you see him being an answer at closer potentially? Yes. I don't Coda, agree. Coda I'm not, Glover I'm was will, the number two guy from the draft class to get to the big leagues, and we don't talk about him much even in, in our office. I, I wouldn't, like there are, I would not say that he could do it this year. That would that would scare me a lot. Um, but long term, everyone in, in their organization and outside their organization just talks about like his demeanor on the mound, and he's closed in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. and he's been successful at it. He's got the stuff for it. I mean, it's, it's a heavy 98 is what it sounds like. You never, like, the way it's been explained to me before is that you never know who can do it until you do it. But the expectation is he is that guy. Hmm. Um, I like it. I mean, more he's... reasonably, you're probably right. He ends up in the 7th or 8th inning because there are so few guys that can do it. But if we're going to talk about a guy that can do it, he would be that guy. I mean, the other guy who they have on hand right now who feels like has the stuff to do it is Blake Trinan. I'm not sure that Blake Trinan is the guy to do it. So in-house, it, that's what I was trying to set up. Like, Coda, Glo- Coda Glover, it's there for him to do if he can do it, JJ. It's kind of neat. Let me throw out, a, again, if we're talking about second half of the season, just not to be the closer, but a guy who could help them. Because... They've traded away the guys who are the obvious options like that. It's like Ronaldo Lopez. Is he a starter? But you also felt very comfortable if Ronaldo Lopez was on the team that yeah. if you needed him to pitch quality innings of the bullpen, yeah, he can do that. What? I mean, is Eric Fetty a, a, you know, a guy who is, again, if you were speeding up his timetable, is that an option to like say, hey, can help us in the pen this year and he's still going to be a starter long term? My question about that is that they are really good at bringing guys back from Tommy John. And one of the reasons they're so good at it is because they are so good at sticking to their schedules. Yeah. And what would that – like they would have to go into the year planning that to be a thing. Mm-hmm. They could not look around in June and say, well, maybe this could be, a, be an option. If they're going to do that, they need to know that now – and plan his whole year around that. And we've seen teams do that before. Um, they probably should have done that in 2012 with Steven Strasburg. Potentially that, that could have been an option then. I doubt that that would be done. Um, there's no reason to think he couldn't do that, that sort of thing, but he's never been asked to, and they generally treat these guys with kid gloves as they come back. Um, so it's worked I, out well for him. It, there is no reason why that, like the, every every piece of evidence says that their approach works. So yeah. I, I would not expect them to deviate for Fetty. To use the football term, like they like to stay on schedule. You know, they don't like to get off schedule. And not even just the Tommy John guys. Sammy Solis has had multiple injuries. Their training staff must be really, really good because they've gotten him back. And he's become a productive member of their rotate of their bullpen. That's hard to do, and that's hard to do when you have multiple back and shoulder. He's had difficult injuries, and I mean, like, I remember reading about this guy at USD 
with the uh, charity work he does back in, uh, I think his family has like a, a orphanage they're involved with. I don't remember what part of the world it is, but Sammy Solis' off-the-field stuff is really impressive. So I'm really happy to see him having big league success. They've got Trevor Gott under contract with them right now, Sean Kelly, old uh, Austin P. right-hander. Uh, so, so they have some interesting arms in the bullpen, but without Melanson, without someone of the stature of Papelbon, he was never really that good for them, or without, like, uh, you know, going back to Drew Storen, uh, or even uh, Soriano, when they had Rafael Soriano untucking the curly Chad W. Chad Cordero. Yeah. <laughs> well, moment of silence for, for Big Chief. I love Chad Cordero. Um, so they've always had that guy at the back of the rotation, uh, back of the bullpen, who was supposed to be the guy. And this, this is the first time I can remember they don't have someone who's supposed to do it. But they've always had someone who was supposed to do it, just didn't do it. Usually in their playoffs, it's been Drew Storen. Who's, it's been a house of horrors for him. Um, other guys I wanted to ask you about, Teddy, they have these. Austin Voth seems like he's the new A.J. Cole. But A.J. Cole is like, I'm still here. Don't forget about me. I don't have any. I mean, I, I think he still has options. Is he out of options? I, I believe he has one option left. I'm not That's hard to believe. That. <laughs> we should. Have, I'll text Matt Eddie. But is there, it's probably my report if, is, if he doesn't. Is there any scenario where AJ Cole ever gets any innings this year? He's listed. He and Voth, I would imagine. And you used to have Joe Ross. You have Tanner Rourke, Gio Gonzalez, Strasburg if he's healthy. Strasburg. I have to imagine at some point you're going to see some AJ Cole in Washington this year. I mean, he uh, he was there last year. He does start this year with a three-game suspension, I guess, left over from last year. But, but um, Giolito and Lopez being out of the way right. means Cole's a little bit more prominent in their plans. Right. So, But because he has a suspension, he probably makes the opening day roster just to get that suspension out of the way, and then he can uh, go back to Syracuse and then be ready whenever they do need him. But, yeah, I think – you know, he's going to go to Syracuse this year, I would guess, and, and be ready to be expected to be ready to go. And both is in the same boat. And whoever's right when they go in the best or lines up with the schedule, whatever, when they need a guy, those are the first two options, uh, you, you would think. And there's AJ Cole's been mediocre in the big leagues, but he does have big league experience. And both uh, has been one of their steadiest pitchers, especially the last couple of years in the upper minors. Yeah, he's been very consistent. He kind of kind of makes me think of like they had Tyler Hill a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. the guy to Vanderbilt, kind of in that same vein. But I guess the more, if you have these command control guys, you hope one of them pops and becomes Tanner Roar. He's a little better than, than Hill, I think. Um, he's always been a strikeout guy, even going back to when he was at UW. Um, and he's led the organization in strikeouts for the last like, three years. Even without like big velocity. Right. He doesn't have big velocity. Uh, part of the reason he's still leading the organization in, in um, strikeouts is because he's been so durable and yeah. they throw him a lot. Uh, but that, that just is another benefit towards him. Remember talking about uh, I just talked about him this offseason with Kyle Body at uh, Driveline Mechanics, where Kyle was on a rant about like, yeah, velocity is important, but what's up here is important too in your head, and he started talking about Mark Appel, and I said, yeah, your guy Austin Voth, or one of us brought up Austin Voth. It was like Austin Voth against Mark Appel. That's the first time I remember reading about talking to scouts about Austin Voth. Was like, hey, the guy from UW was really good the other day against against the Pell. So he has my experience with him has always been. This guy's pretty consistent and really knows how to compete. I have a feeling that he might, and you rank them ahead of A.J. Cole, I have a feeling that you share my opinion that if there were a big league rotation opening, Austin Voth is more likely to fill that than, than, than A.J. Cole. Um, I think right now, 
Yes, uh, I am a long, ter- long time AJ Cole uh, in fan. They're both uh, on the forty man. Uh, they're both there. This is both got added this offseason. Cole obviously had been before that, um, and, and the fact that they're both on the forty man means that the Nationals will have options. Uh, but the thing about both, I do not think he's really a bullpen option mm-hmm. uh, because he doesn't have that premium stuff. Cole probably would fit a little better in the bullpen if they needed to to get a guy. Uh, into the bullpen or, or even in the back end um, long term. Also with him, the, the reality of this is that with Cole, at some point that's going to have to become an option because you're going to run out of options. Right. He he has been blocked. He's not been able to break through, and they're running out of time on that. They do seem uh, – there's a little bit less pitching depth though than there are position player depth. In the top 30, I mean, we did, I, obviously they traded three that happens when you trade, yeah. That's it. So – but, but pitching feels like they might be a team either internationally or in the draft in 2017 that might lean on the pitching side just to replenish the lower levels of the system. Their history of drafting pitching is so strong that my guess is that they, they would kind of let their scouts go crazy on pitching this spring um, if they want. If, if they're looking to replenish their pitching, that would be the way I would go about it because they, they have done a very good job of identifying and then developing pitching uh, from the draft. And they've got a couple of wild cards uh, among these draft guys. Uh, Jesus Lazardo, another, yes, we will stick to the Tommy John script and take the, uh, now what school? He's at Colton Welker School. What's that school? Stoneham Douglas, right? Yes. Douglas High School uh, in South Florida. And I thought they did a very good job of getting him when they got him. They'd been, everybody had been figuring they would draft him all spring because yep. of this. Yep. Um, and everybody, I, I I felt like going into the draft that that would happen with their second-round pick. They were able to wait and get him with their third-round pick. And then they have the best name in baseball since Sicknarf Loopstock and Joan Baez. I know it's not pronounced Joan Baez, <laughs> but Yoan Baez, whose name is spelled Joan Baez. Um, oh, by the way, he throws a hundo. It makes him difficult to research if you're ever, uh, if you're ever <laughs> looking for some Joan Baez information online. It, it's not the who easiest. Is, okay, that's a random question, but who is the hardest – player that you've ever like that you turn to you search and you're like i cannot find anything on this guy joe smith is uh joe smith the, the submarine uh, guy the submarine guy right state. you have to really work hard this was many years ago but you had to really work hard if you were looking like i want to go find some bio info on him that was tough i think sean kelly their reliever now i think he fits into that bill there's a, there's an awful lot of those there's lots of different spellings of sean Throws things off a little bit, but uh, and I don't always spell his name right either, so <laughs> that that throws it off. But yeah, you know, Austin P does help you narrow that down. But right. but Joan Baez, I guess, and 100 miles an hour. I don't think Joan Baez ever played her guitar that quickly. I suppose, or probably not. Not not, not when really, you're folk, not, you're not when not you're folks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So <laughs> um, on the big league, maybe a good way to finish on the big league side here, Teddy. I mean, uh, you know, is this if you're do the Nationals that you talk to, the guys you talk to. Are they like a World Series or bust attitude over there? I mean, they, I have to imagine they feel that way. I mean, I mean, my my brother is a Nats season ticket holder. My nephew is a, you know, his Twitter handle is and feed is all his high school basketball team, but also like sad DC sports fan stuff. The DC sports fan angst. It's been twenty five years plus since, since the since the, uh, the Washington NFL team won the Super Bowl. Twenty five years since Super Bowl. Ninety two was the last one. Ninety one season. season Ninety two. Mark Rippon. Is yeah. that him? And then Le Boulet, the Washington Wizards, 
I mean, I can only do the John Wall thing, but so long before I realize, oh, they're underachieving in their five in the in the, in the well, Eastern Conference. Well, I was going to say the Wizards haven't won since back when they were they didn't win when they it were. It was seventy eight, seventy nine. Them and the Sonics. Bradley Beal will lead them to greatness. Your faith in Florida Gator basketball, <laughs> I just don't understand where that comes from. But Teddy Dupay, when I was <laughs> little. <laughs> oh, that's rich. That's a fantastic <laughs> reference. Teddy Dupay reference. I mean. I love John Wall as a player, um, Raleigh represent, but there, there's some sad sports fans there. The Capitals, as Lacey Lusk always calls them, Washington Capitals have never won. How many Stanley Cups have they won? Zero. Fewer than the Hur- Carolina Hurricanes. So there's some pressure, I think, on the Nats. The Nats are the best sports team in the district. I know the Wizards have, I'm not the Wizards, the Capitals have their claim to that, but uh, do they feel, does that front office or does the front office members there, the Doug Harris's and the... I mean, he's the VP of player personnel. Mark Schaubel is the, the uh, farm director. They, do, do they belie any pressure in them? Can you tell anything when you talk to those guys? You know, I don't, I don't think that they're looking at it necessarily like that. But, I mean, they're, they're, as an organization, there's definitely World Series or bust. Just ask Bryce Harper what, what his expectations are. And, you know, that the, when you're around the big league team, that is definitely the case. I don't – I think the um, – you know, player development part of it is a little more, you know, focused on like, we just have to develop our guys and then Mike Rizzo can either take them or trade them or, you know, we just need to get them in the best position possible. Um, So when you're in the player development aspect of it, I think it's a little easier to not be overly, uh, you know, caught up in that, that kind of attitude. But I think in general, as an organization, they know they know what their what their aims are. They for a while it was just win a division, just get to the playoffs. Right. Well, they've done that now. They've been there. They've done that. They very very much want to win a division series, and but that goes hand in hand with they very much want a pennant. It wouldn't surprise me if the Nationals had a less successful 2017 in terms of the regular season, and yet maybe did have some success in the postseason because the National League East, JJ, we've talked about this is the last. Podcast in this division. Yes, this wraps up the. This East. is a this is a tougher neighborhood. The Marlins. The neighborhood is getting a higher rent. I don't think the Marlins are going to be any better because they lost Jose Fernandez, obviously. But um, you know their competitive lineup, as you talked about in that podcast. I think the Phillies are going to be better, and the, no, the, the Braves are going to be better. Well, also the Marlins are one that they will. No team works harder to go to eighty from eighty to, <laughs> to eighty four. Seventy eight to eighty two. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're going to trade whatever they need because, especially. All-Star game this year. But I, I actually think for rebuilding teams, and I don't think the Marlins think of themselves as a rebuilding team, but random digression. How bad did the all that having the All-Star game hurt the Reds when they were like rebuilding? It's like, but they Yeah, definitely. I mean it's like that first half, like, no, 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 we cannot sell. We got the All-Star game. We have to, you know, be a team that's in it. I think you're gonna see a little bit of this with the Marlins this year, and not just the fact that they're trying that they're desperately trying to sell the, the organization. The other part of it being they've got the All-Star game there, so you want to come into the All-Star game competitive, not right. That's a good point, 15 actually. games out. That is a good point. But the Phillies are going to be better. The Braves are going to be better. I don't know what the Mets are going to be, but the Mets just gave the, what, the second largest contract to a position player in history to UNS Cespedes. So they're... They're going for it, and they should. They have the they should. rotation they have, that if they're if they're healthy, that you expect them to be right there with the Nats at the end. Yeah. So I mean, the Nats. Is it realistic to expect them? What they win? Uh, how many games did they win this past year? They won ninety plus games, ninety five games. I think it was. 
I mean, I think it's reasonable for them to win oh. fewer than 95, and they can still, I still think they're the favorite to win the division. Yeah, I, uh, I would expect them to, to enter the year as the division favorites. Um, they won 95 games this last year. It's hard to win 95 games. So yeah. to, to drop, if I, if I were trying to predict the record, I, I probably would not predict 95 wins. But, um, you know, I, I think it's reasonable for them to, to win 90, to win the division, and then to go into the playoffs and be expected to win their series against, you know, whatever they're matched up against. I, I, the talent is there for that. Uh, the talent's been that for there for that for a couple of years now, so they just have to find a way to to figure out the the jumble of the playoffs. Yeah, I guess uh, Daniel Murphy's uh, home run in every game of the of the LCS the year before was not not there quite for the for the Nationals, JJ. But I mean, like, but, well, let me they ask, get a full season of Trey Turner. But let me ask you hurt. this. Okay, I mean, I think it's clearly the Nationals and the Mets are the two teams battling it out this year. I think so. I don't think I don't think any I don't think the Phillies or the Marlins or the Braves really fits into that. Like I agree, those the are more best step case, forward teams, yeah. not challenge ninety five win teams. When does when does that balance shift? Well, I'm just looking at the Nationals lineup. Zimmerman and Murphy are on the wrong side of thirty. Jason Worth, this is the last year of his contract. He's 38. He played you know, out that whole contract. Cruzos he did, and he actually was a productive player for most of it, which is kind of impressive. I mean, he was league average last year, but in general, he takes competitive at-bats. Um, you know, I think, and again, to me, Harper's gone after 2018, right? Or potentially gone. Yes. Yeah. He's under team control for two more years. Yes. I mean, to me, that's it. But, I mean, the window might even just be this year. But I mean, let me like, ask you. Now, the, the one thing with this is, is that with Bryce Harper, as much as understandably, I've kind of thought of that way too, that Bryce Harper leaves this team. And more I'm kind of coming around to it than, no, I mean, that's going to be a crushing loss. But it, this also, with this pitching staff and all. If Scherzer I, and Geo on the wrong side of 32. Right. If Scherzer's about the same age as Zimmerman and, uh, and Murphy. If this team somehow manages to stay healthy, which I think is a very, very big if. There is a, the window doesn't close. It's not like this is a, right. an open and shut, but it is something where it gives very much, uh, plenty of reason to worry. I'll tell you what, to me, that making that trade close their window, sh- shorten their window. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it was it a bad trade, their, even up, though they have four years of Adam Eaton control. I'm not, five years. I don't know. I, Bryce Harper is obviously, you know, we don't know what Bryce is thinking, but... There's no reason to think that he wouldn't resign. Like it's, it's not, not. It's not. A, it's not a good show. Like he is said. not. It, my other team that I do the chapter for is Cleveland. In Cleveland, it, you could basically count him out if he had. If he hadn't signed a contract right. extension by now, he's gone. If Lindor hasn't signed an extension within two years of right. um, of, of free agency, he, you can't expect him to come back. But this is an ownership that does spend money, and. They, I mean, they're going to be in it. You know, yes, the Yankees are going to be in it. Yes, the Red Sox are going to be in it. Everyone's going to be in it. Yeah, I'd imagine the Dodgers and Yankees are the two teams that are going to be most likely to empty the, their mammoth bank accounts. There is, there's going to be significant pressure on the Nationals to re-sign Bryce Harper, though. And if they do that, then the window can stay open longer. Scherzer's signed through 21, and yeah, we don't know what it's going to look like at the end, and it probably won't look great. But he's through 21. Strasburg's through 23. Um, I mean, Rendon is under contract for, for a few years still. Trey Turner's just starting his, uh, you know, controllable years. Adam Eaton is there. Robles will come up sooner than later. Um, 
it will obviously get more competitive as the Phillies and Braves exit rebuilding. Uh, but this is a this is a well-run team. That's that's the bottom line. It, it, this it's a is, well-run team with resources. That, that's a great way to say it, and that's a great way to finish. I mean, like, the general manager can only do so much. The guy who had the movie made about him, uh, Brian Cashman, with the success he's had in, in New York, Theo Epstein toward the end of his Boston tenure. You can, the GM, president, can only do so much. The players in the field have to deliver. And ultimately, I think Mike Rizzo, you know, to me, he's in the top six or seven general managers in the game, and they have resources. So if plan A, win with Bryce Harper, doesn't work, it doesn't mean they don't have a plan B that, that they're not already formulating of, here's how we go on with Bryce, here's how we go on without Bryce. So uh, he's a very important player coming off a down year. That's ultimately one of the reasons why I think they're going to be one of the favorites in 2017 in the National League is I don't think Bryce Harper is going to stink again. <laughs> I think we're going to get much closer to 2015 MVP Bryce than 2016 was hurt and kind of got lost Bryce. So yeah, uh, if he if he can avoid getting banged up, like there there's every reason to think he bounces back like he was in 16. Yep, no, I agree. JJ, yeah. it's the quietest podcast for you in years. Well, y'all are doing such a good job that I'm, I'm kind of hanging out, you know, and, and I'm just kind of adding in a little bit here and there. But I mean, I, I, I'm I'm all for I'm all for JJ tidbits. I was, I was trying to, yeah, I, I I'm glad that you joined us. I kind of more ask questions to let you guys talk today. Then. Well, I, I kind of like the Nationals organization, and uh, you know, my brother has had questions for me, so I had to ask about AJ Cole. I had to ask about a couple other guys because uh, the Nats are his. Uh, the apple of his eye. He's got that D.C. sports fan now. So uh, good luck to D.C. sports fans the rest of uh, the basketball and hockey season. We'll uh, see what happens with the Nationals during the year. We'll come back with the National League Central, and Teddy and I are going to podcast again next week about the college class, draft class 2017, All-America team, and uh, other issues college-wise coming up pretty soon. So plenty more podcasts to come at Baseball America. For Teddy and J.J., I'm John. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.